Amen, amen. We indeed, the Bible says, by this we know love that Christ laid down his life for us. And that's what we've come together to celebrate this morning. Not only his death, but also his resurrection. So we're glad that you're here at our second service this morning. When you came in, you received one of these brochures. And inside it is a little section I would encourage all of our guests to fill out. You can drop it in the offertory plate here in just a few moments. Or if you'd like, I'd love to meet you in the back following the service, give you a free gift just for coming. But right now, I want you to stand to your feet. You find a few people you have not recognized this morning and welcome them today.
Well, amen. You believe Jesus still saves? Say amen. So awesome. I'll let you know that my little girl, Maddie, prayed to receive Jesus this morning. So I would testify that he still saves. Amen. Very, very good. Listen, we're going to prepare to take our offering now, so if you'll bow with me in prayer. Father, it's a great privilege this morning to um, worship you and to know you personally. God, I pray this morning that you'd continue to draw people to yourself. Thank you for the two who came in the early service, giving their hearts to you. And I pray, Lord, that that would continue throughout the day, not only in our fellowship, but also in other uh, Bible-preaching fellowships uh, around the world. God, I would pray as well this morning as we prepare in our hearts to give tithes and offerings that you would use them for the furtherance of your kingdom so that the gospel message would continue to be sent forth, that others might come to know you. And may we be uh, like the church at Philippi, that at the first day uh, we participated in the gospel and we continue to do so from here on out. And we'll give you glory for it. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said...
Well, I want you uh, this morning to put yourself in the middle of a very, very large crowd. Just do that in your mind's eye right now. Just picture yourself standing in the middle of a massive crowd. Feel the heat beaming down on you. Uh, Breathe in the dry, dusty air and even kind of feel the sweat rolling down from your forehead for just a moment. And then I would ask you, what are we all doing together in this crowd? Well, we've gotten together for the typical release of a prisoner from the Roman government. Do you know for years we've seen this as a way for politicians to gain favor with the crowds and for years we've seen this. However, it's a bit different today. In fact, what's wild is we're looking at the stone chair and there's an individual man seated there and you've got to see that in your eyes. So see this man seated on a stone chair. His name is Pilate. It's difficult to hear him over the jeering crowds, but he's come to the point where he's given you and I a choice. And listen to what he says. He simply reiterates, which is it going to be? He says it over and over again, which do you desire? And he stands up from his seated position to walk toward two possible candidates for pardon. Choose today who you will have released. Motioning over to his right, he says, will it be Barabbas? And then motioning over to his left, he says, or will it be Jesus? Would you like for me to free him? And the crowd erupts in what at first seems like unrecognizable chatter, but then it becomes crystal clear. They are calling for Jesus' life to be put away. And can't you hear the crowds this morning screaming with great animosity and great anger in their voice as they yell in unison, crucify him, crucify him, put him to death. Now let's consider for just a moment the option which you and I would have standing before us on this particular day. And this morning for our time together, I want us to compare the two options, contrasting one man named Barabbas and the other man named Jesus. And on one hand, we look at this man, his name is Barabbas. Now, according to scripture, we find that Barabbas is actually sentenced to a point by the law where he is to be put to death for all of his crimes. However, before we look at exactly what Barabbas has done, I want you to consider just for a moment his name. Barabbas has quite a unique name. I did a study and found out that most likely this name was not given to him by his mother or his father. In fact, just think about it for just a moment so I can kind of draw a picture here for you of this name. Uh, Whenever you read in the New Testament, you'll run across a name called Simon Bar-Jonah. Uh, That's a very popular name for Peter in the scripture. And the name Bar-Jonah literally means the son of Jonah. You see, the word bar translates the son of. It's quite customary in those days to do that. If I lived during those particular times, you would say, there goes Levi Bar-William. That would literally be, there goes Levi, the son of William. But notice the word again, or the name again, Barabbas. The bar means the son of, but then it ends with Abba or Abbas. Abba was the common name for a father in those days. So when Pilate put Barabbas before the people, he was using a term saying, would you like for me to get rid of Barabbas or free Barabbas? That is, would you like for me to get rid of the son of a father or to free the son of a father? You know, it was thought that his life was so notoriously wicked, so evil that his own father wouldn't even claim him any longer. 
So they said, here is Barabbas. They didn't name his father's name, but they just simply said, here is the son of a father. So Pilate points to his right and says, who do you want? Do you want Barabbas or would you rather have Jesus? We not only notice something unique about the name of Barabbas, but we go a step further and we find out another truth about Barabbas, and that is that Barabbas was sentenced by the law. Now in John's Gospel, chapter 18 and verse 40, we read the life of crime which Barabbas had adopted. He was a professional thief. John writes, now Barabbas was a robber. However, we also note Barabbas' life really got out of control according to the Bible. In Luke's Gospel 23 and verse 19, the scripture says he was thrown into prison for rebellion as well as for murder. So Barabbas had rebelled against the authorities of his day and had actually murdered at least one individual and was caught for it. So in short, I would say Barabbas was indeed a thug. He was sentenced by the law. He was deserving of death. However, what is radical about this particular story in the scripture and what really is unprecedented is what happened to Barabbas on this particular day. See, he was the son of a father. He was sentenced by the law, but on this day, he was set free as if he had committed no crime. He was set free as if he were a righteous person. Given their choice, the crowd shouted for Barabbas to be spared. In verse 21 of Matthew's Gospel in 27, we read, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? Pilate asked. And they all shouted, Barabbas. In verse 26, we read of Pilate listening to their choice, and Pilate released Barabbas for them, is what the Bible teaches. So they set free this man who had committed crimes as if he had committed no crime, but he deserved death without a shadow of a doubt. Barabbas, the son of a father, sentenced by the law, were set free on this day as if he committed no crime. But now let us for a moment focus our attention and put the spotlight on the person of Jesus. What's unique about Jesus on one side of Pilate is that he was not the son of a father, but rather he was actually the son of the father. He was the son of God. Remember in your mind's eye when Jesus was coming up out of the waters of baptism and he looked into the eyes of John the Baptist and then the Bible says that a voice from heaven shouted out, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. God the Father claimed Jesus Christ as his son and announced it to the whole world. Jesus was indeed the son of God. So we have the son of a father and then we have the son of God. One deserved death, but the other actually deserved life. There's something else unique about the Lord Jesus, and that is that Jesus was spotless before the law. You see, where Barabbas was sentenced by the law, Jesus was spotless before the law. He had committed no crime. This is true not only of the Roman crime, but also it was true of the fact that God the Father saw no sin in the man. The scripture says in the book of Hebrews that he was tempted in all ways as we are, yet he was without sin. So Jesus was brought to Pilate by the Jewish people to be judged. They had told Pilate that Jesus was involved in rebellion against the public authorities. And in Luke's gospel, chapter 23 and verse 14, we read, Pilate said to them, you brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man. So Pilate tells the crowds that he is not guilty. And then in verse 19 of Matthew 27, we read about Pilate's wife. 
The scripture says his wife sent Pilate a message saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. And this is one time in the New Testament where a husband and a wife agree, which is very uncommon. Can I get a witness on that? But here they agree about the person Jesus Christ. They say of Jesus, he has no guilt. Pilate says it and Pilate's wife says, do nothing to the righteous man, do nothing to him. So on one hand, you've got Barabbas. Do y'all see him? The son of a father sentenced by the law. But on the other hand, you have Jesus, the son of God the Father, who is spotless before the law. But what is unprecedented once again is what occurs next, and that is that Jesus was sentenced to die. He asked the crowds, who do you want, Barabbas or Jesus? And you've got to be able to hear them in your spiritual ear this morning as they're chanting together with their fist in the air and they're saying, hey, we want Barabbas, man, give us Barabbas. And their response so shocked Pilate in verse 22 that Pilate said to them, what am I supposed to do with this Jesus who is called the Christ? And they all said, well, crucify him, put him on the tree. And he said, what evil has he done? But they all kept shouting all the more. That literally means that everyone joined in and it became louder and louder as they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. And when Pilate saw that, he was accomplishing nothing. The scripture says, rather a riot was starting. He took water and in front of everyone, he washed his hands saying, I am innocent of this man's blood, Jesus. See to that yourselves. And then all the people still with absolute anger in their voice, but continuing to spew out, his blood shall be on us and upon our children. And verse 26 of Matthew 27 says it all. Then he released Barabbas for them, but after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Listen closely, listen closely. Jesus was led to die on a cross that was carved out for Barabbas. Barabbas, he deserved death, but he was given life. Jesus, he deserved life, but he was given death. And what an astonishing moment in history. And we are overwhelmed by the apparent breach of justice. It's amazing as you study this scripture how they could condemn a spotless individual to die. But now I want you to go somewhere else in your brain for just a moment. Y'all ready to go on a trip? Say yes. Here we go. I want you to enter into your bedroom at home, all right? And I want you to grab what all of you have in your bedroom at home. I want you to grab your full-length mirror. Do y'all have that? Say yes. Amen. I don't either, but I borrowed this from a very conceited person. So anyway, so, uh, but let's pull the mirror out and stick it in front of everybody. And I want you to stand in front of the mirror and I want you to peer directly into that mirror. And I'm going to ask you, what exactly do you see? And you know, as I look into it, I say, good night. That's a good looking man right there. Look at there. He's a stallion. I bet he could bench press 500 pounds. I can go on with this, but I'll stop now. But you look in the mirror and I were to ask you, who do you see? You, You would immediately say, I see myself, and you would name your own name. But I want you to look beyond the surface, all right? I want you to look deeper. Because really, whenever you look into this mirror, Uh, What you see is not yourself, but you actually see a reflection of Barabbas. See, every one of us in the building reflect Barabbas. You and I 
reflect Barabbas. And I want to show you how that works, and I will just show it as it works for me. So listen closely, and I will tell you, like Barabbas, I am the son of a father. And the Bible makes it plain. I am born into sin. I am uh, by nature a sinner. My mom and dad were both sinners. And so when I was born, I inherited a disease called death. And it wasn't their fault because their parents had sin as well. And then their parents and their parents all the way down to a man named Adam. Scripture says in Romans 5 and 12, through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin and so death spread to all men. You see, you and I were born sinners and you and I deserve to die because of our sin, the sin which dwells inside of us. The Bible says in Psalm 51, in sin my mother conceived me. So you and I were born sinners and the Bible also says for the wages of our sin is death. So I am the son of a father born into sin and I deserve death and you deserve death. But not only am I the son of a father, but like Barabbas, I also am sentenced by the law. When I speak of the law here, I speak directly of God's law. If we narrow it down directly to the 10 commandments, I am guilty of breaking the law. Galatians 3 and 10 tells us, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Did y'all hear that? Cursed is everybody. If you have not lived up to the law in absolute perfection, the Bible says there is a curse over your life. That's me. I've broken the law of God. I've sinned. I stand before God's divine, pure, moral law, and I am guilty. I am not perfect. And the Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the holy standard of God. So you are sentenced by the law. You and I are condemned by the law to die and spend eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. And as we look at the law, just consider that for a moment. Have you ever told a lie before? Because the law of God says you should never lie. If you have ever lied, the Bible says in the book of Revelation that liars will have their place in the lake of fire. Have you ever stole anything before? Because one of the commandments says you shouldn't steal. But if you've ever taken something that was not yours, guess what? You're a thief. Have you ever murdered anybody? If you have, please don't tell me. Can I get a witness on that? But a lot of times whenever I begin to share the law with people, people are like, no, no, I've never killed anybody. I'm a pretty good person. Listen closely. Jesus says, if you have anger in your heart, it's considered murder in God's courtroom. That is only three of the 10 commandments. And those are the three that Barabbas broke. And those likewise are the same three that you and I have broken because we are lying, thieving, murderers at heart. And one day we're gonna face God. The Bible teaches us in James chapter 2 and verse 10 that if we've broken one of God's law, we're guilty of breaking the whole thing. So you hang over hell, man, by a 10-link chain, and one of those chains break, one sin committed, and you in that moment are hurling towards an eternity separated from God in hell. And all of us deserve this. You deserve it, and I deserve it. And you say, well, wait a minute, Levi, I don't deserve hell. I think I'm a pretty good person. In fact, one day I'm going to stand before God. I'm going to say, God, I know I kind of messed up there, but, but Lord, look at all these good works I've got going on here. Some people are counting on that, and they think that God's going to look at them and just overlook all of their sin and be like, I didn't realize you did all that good stuff. Come on in. Could you imagine if that is how a judge worked in Georgia? that you've committed some crime and you stand before the judge and you tell the judge, I know I'm guilty and all the evidence is stacked against you and you deserve to be sentenced, but you look at the judge and say, judge, I know that I did that, but for the past six weeks, I have been a wonderful individual. Could you imagine the judge looking at you and saying, oh, I didn't realize, you mean this past six weeks you've been good? 
Well, I'll tell you what, I, we'll just pretend you didn't commit this crime. If a judge did that, we would go nuts. We'd say, he's not a good judge, he's not moral. In fact, get him off the bench, man. He shouldn't even be a judge at all. He's not a good judge. And there are people who think one day when they die and stand before God that they'll be able to say, but God, I know I messed up here, but look at all this good stuff. And God's just gonna say, oh, well, let's just let you on in. Then I didn't realize all that. You know, if he did that, he wouldn't be a good judge. He wouldn't be a moral judge. See, when you look at Barabbas and I look at Barabbas, I really see a reflection of myself because I'm the son of a father and I am sentenced to die by the law. This preacher can do nothing to get rid of any single sin in my life. I've got a problem, but I got some great news for you. What's the good news? I have been set free as if I have committed no crime. So well, how in the world has that occurred? Well, you see, when Jesus went to die on the cross at Calvary, that wasn't just Barabbas' cross, that was mine. That was yours as well. In fact, Jesus was treated like Barabbas should have been treated. Jesus deserved life, but Barabbas deserved death. Jesus was treated like I should be treated. Jesus was treated like you should have been treated. Spotless Son of God shed his blood for us. God the Father treated Jesus Christ the Son as if he committed every sin of every person who has ever breathed the breath of life. Why would God consider Jesus Christ to be sin? Why would he do such a thing? Why would God the Father judge his son as if he had committed all of my sin and all of your sin? Why would he do this? He would do this so that he could consider you and I to be righteous who come to him by faith. See, it's amazing as you begin to look at the gospel narrative and you see the death of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and how he has freed us. See, I have been freed as if I'm a righteous man. Somebody's like, well, how can you be so sure about that, Levi? How can you be so sure of this freedom which you have found in the person of Jesus Christ? I can be overwhelmingly confident, overwhelmingly sure because there is an empty tomb. So this doesn't make any sense. It makes perfect sense. See, Jesus died on the cross. He was buried three days later. He got up from the dead. When Jesus was raised up from the dead, you know what that did for me? It proved to me that God the Father, who is the judge of the universe, actually accepted Jesus' death on the cross as sufficient payment for my sin. So when Jesus got up from the dead, God was saying, that death of Christ my son is sufficient to pay for the sins of the world. Jesus got up from the dead. And because I have turned from my sin and placed my trust in Jesus Christ, listen closely, the Bible says now that death has no hold upon me. Condemnation, there is none in Christ Jesus. This sin which used to pervade my life, control my life, and really steer my life to hell, this sin I have been released from, man, I'm no longer bound to it. How did you earn such a thing, preacher? How did you get that? Didn't earn it, didn't get it. It was given to me as a free gift from Almighty God. It's called grace. That's why we sing about it, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Look at this preacher eyeball to eyeball. I was a wretch on my way to hell, but God graciously over 2,000 years ago made provision for my sinfulness. Jesus died for me. He was resurrected and I place my faith in him. And now the Bible says it like this, death, hey, where's your victory? So much as if Paul the apostle, he realizes this resurrected Christ, how it so changed him and he's taunting death. He's like, death, where are you at now? 
<laughs> Where's your victory? Where's your sting? The Bible says the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What an awesome truth this is. Now, it's unique. As you read Matthew 27, you'll find Jesus dies on the cross and then he's resurrected. But it happens in a time in history which is overwhelming. It happens during the Passover. It's his own purpose. God does everything in order and on purpose. And in the Old Testament, and you've got to listen to this, in the Old Testament, to escape the wrath of God in Egypt... The Israelites had to put the blood of a lamb over the doorpost of their home and then death would actually pass them by because the lamb had died for them. But in the New Testament, to escape the wrath of God coming to earth against all sin, you have to have the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ, applied to the doorpost of your heart. Then death will pass over you because Jesus, who is the lamb of God, died in your place. This is what Jesus came to do. So really, I need to ask you a very simple question this morning. Uh, what will you do with a message from God like this today? How will you respond to a message like this today? There's a couple ways you can respond. One, you can choose this morning to live your own life in rejection of God's gift of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. You can choose today to say, I hear you talking, Levi. I understand what you're saying, but I want nothing to do with that. You can harden your heart. Turn your back on Jesus. And here's what I would say to you with uh, all the humility and love I could muster up. God's grace will one day no longer be available to you. God's wrath will soon be inevitable. You cannot get away from his wrath. You will pay for your sins against God. According to the scriptures, you'll be sentenced by God to eternal judgment in hell. This is what the Bible teaches. This ain't just me preaching, all right? So the Bible says... So if you hold on to your sin, God's like, all right, that's what you want to have it. That's what you desire. So be it. You can have it for eternity. And I know how some people are because they'll look at a, a message like this or listen to a message like this. And they'll be like, I hear you up there, man, but I don't believe any of that. I just don't believe it. And so what? Your belief does not determine reality. Can you imagine if I'm looking at this mirror and saying, I don't believe there's a mirror there. Don't believe in it. I guarantee if I walk over there, I'll run into it. Y'all with me? My belief does not determine reality. So some people in the house, you're like, I don't believe in God, don't believe in Jesus. So what, man? Your belief does not determine reality. Reality is there's a mirror there. Reality is Jesus died over 2,000 years ago, and now there's an empty tomb. You've got to do something about it, man. That's reality. And we shape our belief system based upon reality. So you can continue to reject him. And I'm just telling you, you reject him and uh, you'll be rejected. Y'all still out there? There's another way you can respond to the message. You're like, good night, I hear you. What can I do to be saved? Well, the Bible teaches you can receive Jesus by faith. That is, you can choose to repent of your sin, turn from your sin, reject your sin, and turn to Christ in total truth. Look to Christ, and God will take the blood of his son and apply it to your heart. Didn't y'all see that this morning? Awesome what happened up here. They were up here painting the hands, the feet, and the face of Christ. But at the very end, you'll notice a young girl came up with some red paint, and she just put it right smack dab on the foot, on the hand, on the brow, on the other hand, on the other foot. It was a picture of Jesus' 
death and his blood flowing down. And you could see it, man, as they picked it up, it was dripping over here on the floor. It's amazing what that depicted. And here's what happened whenever I placed my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. At a young age, I realized I was a sinner, nothing I could do, my heart's black, it's sinful, I deserve hell. So in humility, I come to God and it's like, God, there's nothing I can do to save myself, but I understand what Christ has done. He died for me, he was resurrected. So right now, I'm turning from my sin, I'm not trying to earn my righteousness, I'm coming to you by faith, and I wanna follow you the rest of my life. In that moment, from God's courtroom, God reached down and he didn't dip into paint, but he looked at the blood of his own son, he picked it up and he applied it right here over the door post of my heart. Now, the wrath of God no longer is looming on me. Now, the death which I did deserve is no longer holding on to me. The sin which used to control no longer has a hold on me. Been set free to live for Jesus. So what's it going to be for you this morning? How are you going to respond? Are you going to reject Jesus or are you going to receive Jesus by faith? So how do you receive him by faith? Very quickly, you realize you're a sinner. You recognize Jesus Christ died for you. Receive Jesus Christ as master. And the Bible teaches you do it publicly and you do it now. Look at this preacher. There's no such thing as a secret saint, all right? When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you can care less who knows about it. You want everybody to know. So you choose to follow him. Why in the world you would continue to sit in your sin and reject Christ is beyond my comprehension. Please look at me. I'm not trying to be ugly, trying to help you. Look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm trying to warn you that the wrath of God is headed towards you, and if you don't get out the street, you flat gonna get ran over. So that's all I'm doing is saying, hey, dude, get out the road. But there's the only way you can get out, by trusting Christ. And if you reject him today, there's no guarantee that God will make another opportunity for you to be saved. If you reject him today, know this, the condemnation and the judgment which you will receive just compounded on you because you heard the truth. So if you reject it, it just built up even more so for you. But if you come to Christ, you can be set free. Why don't you do that today? Your head bowed, your eyes closed. God, speak to hearts. Draw people to yourself.